Thanks for checking out the Christian Life Austin podcast. If this is your first time listening, make sure to check us out at clcaustin.com for more info on how you can connect with us. We trust that you will enjoy today's message. Thank you for listening. A lot of times on Wednesday night, I love inspiration. And last week, I talked about writing a new song. And we talked about that we need a new song. If a humpback whale can create a song a year, we ought to be able to make up a song for the Lord. Amen. But, but tonight, I, I'm, I'm going to be more uh, hopefully instructive than I am inspiration. I want to I talk to you tonight a little bit of a burden from my heart. I'm going to call this simply Wings Over Austin. I'm going to call it Wings Over Austin. And uh, it's a pretty place there, isn't it? It's a pretty place. God bless you. The Coast Guard's motto says it all. So others may live. In the movie several years ago, The Guardian, there are a group of 280 men and women known as rescue swimmers, and they become the first responders who jump from choppers into the violent seas to rescue people who would otherwise die. The essence of the movie is simply, people are looking for a miracle to save them. You have to find a way to be that miracle. Say it with me. People are looking for a miracle to save them. You have to be that miracle. That's the Coast Guard's theme. Tonight I speak on vision. The word that befuddles, amuses, and yet addresses all of us from time to time is that word called vision. I put on the screen what one man said about it. I'm going to read it real slowly and you can read it along with me. The vision is the capacity to create a compelling picture of the desired state of affairs that inspires people to respond, that which is desirable, which could be, should be, that which is attainable. A godly vision is right for the times, right for the church, and right for the people. A godly vision promotes faith rather than fear. A godly vision motivates people to action. A godly vision requires risk-taking. A godly vision glorifies God and not people. Thank you, Mr. Logan, for those words. Proverbs 29 and 8, the, uh, the man called Solomon said, Without a vision, people perish. 29, 18. 16 years ago, we rushed into the 21st century with a lot of intrepidation and fear. Dr. Joyce Brothers, a notable psychologist, said that man's fear then of what we call Y2K was deeper than the flipping of a calendar. We really thought we was going to lose it all. You remember those days. And that fear has created a world of chaos. It really has. The last 16 years has been pretty difficult. It's created a world of chaos. It started very quickly way back in 2001. And it's continued anxieties and wars and wars and wars. And now we're fighting one that we don't know how to win because they're coming from every angle and every direction. God sent Patty and me to Austin almost 27 years ago to speak faith to this congregation, to this city, and not fear. Fear has torment. Faith is a gift of the Spirit. It's also a fruit of the Spirit. And we have chosen to guide this church by faith and not by fear. We will not guide this church by faith. Faith, when mixed with hope and love, Form the three basic ingredients of Godship in a church. Now there about a faith, hope, and charity. And the greatest of these is charity in a church or a family or an individual. 
And my, my working text today is found in 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 21 through 28. I don't want to put the text up here now. We're going to read it together. So Solomon overlaid the house within. This is when Solomon was building the house called the temple within pure gold. And he made a partition by the chains of gold before the oracle. And he overlaid it with gold. And the whole house he overlaid with gold until he had finished all the house. Also the whole altar was by the oracle he overlaid with gold. And within the oracle he made two cherubims, watch this now, of olive tree, each ten cubits high. And five cubits was one wing of the cherub and five cubits the other wing of the cherub. And from the uttermost part of the one wing unto the uttermost part of the other were ten cubits. And they overlaid the cubits, the cherubims, with gold. The word wing or wings is used seven times in these verses. David said the house of God was his answering place. He said it was his faith factor. He said the house of God was his hope. The house of God was his gladness. Let me describe God's house to you today if I can, Solomon's house. For you see, words fail me sometimes to describe what these were. Adjectives are useless sometimes and redundant. Let me use the word ornate. Let me use the word elaborate. Let me use the word intricate. Let me use the word extravagant. In fact, the Bible said that his house was exceeding magnifical. Exceeding magnifical. Can you imagine those two Adjectives coming together, exceeding magnificent. It was just beyond belief. That was his temple. This was a place for which Israel hungered for for so long. See, at Shiloh, the Ark of the Covenant rested for some 430 years. Not in a beautiful home like the temple, but in a badger skin covered tent. David longed to build a house for God's presence. He wasn't allowed to because of bloodshed. So he accumulated materials and the monies. And his desire was credited to him as an accomplished fact in 1 Kings chapter 8. That's the worth of a wish. But David's son Solomon built the house for God's presence. Now listen to this. 30,000 men cut timber in the forest of Lebanon. 80,000 men cut the stones in the quarries west of Jerusalem. 70,000 men served as general laborers on the project. And architects and craftsmen came from Hiram, the king of Tyre. And they directed the workers so that there was silence within the temple. All of the cutting and all of the hammering was done elsewhere. There was not the sound of a hammer. There was not the sound of a saw. It's like God's house today. There was a silent building program going on. And after seven years, the elaborate workmanship drew to a close. The temple was finished. And all of a sudden, it was moving day. But the only single piece of furniture that was moved was the Ark of the Covenant, the glory of God. Let me say something here. It does not matter how big we build a building in this city because we're going to do it again. I want you to understand one thing. We can make it as ornate as we'd like, but there's one thing we're going to move into that house before we ever go any further, and that's the presence of God. God's presence means more to me than any building. We must have the presence of God. The ark had seen many places of abode. Its first home was a portable, portable, the tabernacle of Moses. And it rested for several centuries in the tabernacle of Shiloh, 430 years. 
It was lost on a battlefield one day under Eli's rule. And it was in the hands of the Philistines. And there it rested in the Philistine temple dedicated to a fish god called Dagon. But the ark soon became unwelcome visitor in Felicia. Soon it returned to Israel and parked in the houses of Abinadab and Obed-Edom for the last three months. And David brought the ark to his tabernacle, pitched in Jerusalem on Mount Zion. And for 40 years it rested in the tabernacle of David until Solomon finished the temple. Imagine, if you will, the ark's trip to Solomon's temple that day. All 12 tribes came to celebrate this day because the glory of the Lord was coming home. Each rejoiced because God's presence finally had a home. This procession made its way between the huge columns, two huge columns. One was called Boaz. It means in God there is strength. The other was named Jachin. In God there is direction. Everybody say strength. Everybody say direction. Those are the two things each person needs to find in God's house. We need to find direction and we need to find strength. So in the name of the Lord tonight, I preach to you, direction needs to come to our hearts tonight. And I bless you in the name of the Lord because strength needs to lift you here tonight. David said, I almost was overwhelmed when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. But then I went to God's house and I understood their end. And I realized that there's strength and there's direction in God's house. Let's clap our hands tonight because strength and direction comes to our house tonight. So the procession led past a huge altar. Israel had grown. Growth calls for more sacrifice than ever before. It passed before a huge brazen sea mounted on 12 brazen oxen. Israel had grown. Growth calls for deeper purity in our lives. It passed by 12 tables of showbread illuminated by 12 golden candlesticks. Israel had grown. Growth calls for brighter revelation. Hallelujah. And it passed by 12 golden altars of incense. Israel had grown. Growth calls for higher intercession. We need to be growing as the church is growing. Yet the ark was the same. There are some things that never change. There are some things that will never go away. One is the truth of God's word. One is the blood of Jesus that cleanses from all sin. And the other is the spirit of God in this last hour. We need this truth. We need his blood to still cleanse from sin. And we need the spirit of God to still come in this house and rectify and touch people's lives. Clap your hands in this house right now. So through the veil. Through the veil, the ark entered into its room. The most holy place was overlaid with gold. The walls, the floor, the ceilings were shimmered with this precious metal. Gold symbolized deity. And by overlaying the stone and the wood with gold, it, un- it made us understand that no flesh, no flesh would glory in God's sight. The ark rested in the room center, facing the veil toward the east, toward the rising of the sun. In Moses' tabernacle, the ark rested by itself. But in Solomon's temple, the ark was not alone. See, it had company. Two angelic creatures called cherubims, hallelujah, were designed to stand beside the ark. They were different in character from the cherubims on the ark. Those on the ark were made of solid beaten gold, but the two standing were made of olive wood 
overlaid with gold. The cherubims, you might recall, were the brand of angels nearest to God. Ezekiel talked about them in his book. John described them in the book of Revelation. They had four faces. They had the face of a man. They had the face of an ox. They had the face of a lion and they had the face of an eagle. And those cherubims represent individuals who are close to God. Because eagles hold to vision. Lions profess and possess boldness. And an oxen is unafraid of work. And man or humanity is compassionate. We need people who hold on to vision through the tough times. We need people who possess boldness in this last hour. We need folks who are unafraid to work for God Almighty. And we need a church of compassion. We need a church of care that loves this world and wants the world to be saved through Jesus Christ. Clap your hands and say amen to that. So these cherubims, wood overlaid with gold, are much like us. We're mortal, but we have an element of immortality wrapped around us. We're human, but we possess God's spirit on us and in us. The quality of these cherubims reveal the person each of us need to be. And here I'm fixing to teach now. I've set a platform and here we go. Here we go. It won't be long now. I first have a duty to God. I must touch the heavens. Everybody say, I must touch the heavens. I must. The first thing one would notice of these cherubims that were placed behind the Ark of the Covenant viewing east through the glory of God was their height. They were 10 cubits tall or 15 feet tall. 15 feet. I must be tall, folks, to touch the heavens. Every now and again, we need to slip the surly bonds of earth and reach out and touch the face of God. Reagan quoted that from the poem High Flight. But every now and then in our services, we need more than just inspiration. We need more than just instruction. We need to stand tall and reach out and touch the face of Almighty God in our life. For it's He who has made us and not we ourselves. I call Psalms chapter 146 through 150 God's volcano country. I call it Jehovah's ring of fire. Because each Psalm from 146 to 150 starts and stops with praise ye the Lord. I wonder how many of you today have reached out real tall and said I'm going to praise you today. How many of you tonight would leave here after we preach tonight and say, I will bless your name before I go to bed tonight? How many of you believe you got to stand tall and reach the heavens and say, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I will say of the Lord, you are my God. You are my refuge, my strength. In you will I trust. Some men trust in horses and some men trust in chariots. But we'll remember the name of the Lord in our life. We got to stand tall to touch the heavens. The Himalayas of Hallelujah reads like this. Once again, I'm going to the screen. Psalms chapter 149, 1 through 9. Praise ye the Lord. Sing the Lord a new song. And his praise in the congregation of saints. Let Israel rejoice in him that made him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name in the dance. Oh, I love that. 
Let them sing praises unto him with the timbrel and the harp. For the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Verse 6, please. And let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishment upon the people, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute upon them the judgment written, this honor have all his saints. Praise ye the Lord. You know what? Every now and then you've got to go from praise to high praise. You've got to lift your praises a little higher. I'm not trying to get emotion out of you tonight, but I'm telling you, this is a real, real God that we're worshiping tonight. He's not some pagan God. He's not some fictitious God. He is the real Jehovah Jireh. He is the real Jehovah Signatu. He is the real Jehovah Rapha. He is the real God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Sometimes you've got to take your praise a little higher. You've got to take your praise a little greater. It's God's volcano country. It's Jehovah's ring of fire. Praise. We've got to stand tall sometime and just bless the name of the Lord. Many kings in the Bible never gave God the high places. They only worshiped in the low places. And they gave the high places to false gods. There's a lot of God still in this world. But who's going to get the high place in your heart? Is it going to be what you possess? Is it going to be what you know? Is it going to be what you own? Is it going to be how much money you have or what kind of degree you have? Or is it going to be the God of heaven? What are you going to put in the high place? Come on, what are you going to put in the high place? It's time we stand tall as the cherubims behind the ark and say, I will lift my hands and I will show I must look higher. I must reach higher. I must reach the heavens. He's not just a God of the valley. He's a God on the mountaintop. He's not just a God in dark times. He's a God in daytime. He's not just a God when everything's going wrong and you need help and you dial 911. He's a God when everything's going good. Joseph told the man in prison, when all is well with you, remember me. It's hard to remember when everything's going good. But the God that's the God of dark is the God of light. The God that's the God of the valley is the God of the mountaintop. I don't care if you're climbing out of your pit or you're going down into one. I will bless the Lord at all times. Come on. I will praise him. I will praise him. I will praise the Lord. Amen. Like Isaiah I must see the real exalted Lord. Like Peter, I must realize his holy presence. Like John the Revelator, I must find the glory in his midst. And like Paul, I must know the joys of the third heaven. I must touch heaven. Every day, I must touch heaven. Secondly, my duty is to the world. I must touch the lost. I'm going to teach now. I must touch the lost. The second thing one might notice about each of these cherubims was their wings. Not only their height, 15 feet, but their wings, five cubits, or seven and a half feet. The cherubim wingspan was twice that. They stood side by side. So there was at least 15 feet of wings from one and 15 feet of wings from the other. 30 feet across a room in the Holy of Holies. 
Their outer wings were created to reach to the northern and southern walls of the most holy place. Imagine that. The angels, the cherubims gazed, looked eastward through God's presence to the rising of another day. Their wings reached north and south. Their reach was just as wide as their height was tall. You got to understand, if my upreach is 15 feet, my outreach. I don't need to just be a Sunday, Wednesday Christian and hallelujah myself to heaven. I must walk out of here and be an outreach as much as I am an upreach. Come on, let me talk to you. Miss Maney, you're going to like this. A little girl came home and told her mom that the teacher had said to the class that day, go mad. Go mad. Go mad. M-A-D. Make a difference. Go make a difference. You need to put that on your refrigerator. Go mad. Somebody comes in and said, my God, I hope she doesn't while I'm here. Make a difference. Someone in Austin needs to make a difference. Some church needs to make a difference. Some individual needs to make a difference. There's a story in 2 Kings chapter 4 of the sons of the prophet that needed to eat. And they found a vine of wild gourds and shredded them into a communal stew pot. And when someone tasted it, he cried out, Oh, thou man of God, there is death in this stew. There's death in this pot. I will tell this congregation today that there is death in the pot of what this world is stirring up. There's illegal stuff going on, prescription stuff going on, illegal stuff going on, internet, video or porn addiction, all those things. There's hatred, there's anger, there is malice. My new favorite coach is Dabo Sweeney. He coaches Clemson. He, he, if you want to read something powerful, read it. He said, America doesn't have a racism problem, it has a sin problem. And the only one that can answer the sin problem is Jesus Christ. Dabo, you're at the top of my list. He said, we need to humble ourselves and get on our knees and say, Jesus, you're the answer. And he is the answer. You know what the prophet did? He didn't stir that soup and pull out something to make the poison go away. He threw some meal in the pot. You got to add something to the poison to get the poison out of the pot. And I present Jesus Christ here today. I present Jesus Christ. And when November, the first Tuesday of November comes, I'm still going to preach Jesus Christ is the answer. He's still the answer. We can't take it by taking something out and make it better. We got to put something in it. We got to put something in it. And Jesus is what we're going to place in this world. Wow, wow, wow. I feel better about this than some of y'all do. The world needs to be touched. It cannot be cured by subtraction. It must be cured by addition. Elisha. Added meal in the pot, contents were cured. Moses added freshly cut tree to the bitter waters of Mara, and they were healed. Yes. Prophet of God, when the iron sank, put a tree limb in the river, and the iron swam. If you want something to happen powerful in your life, don't try to use the law of subtraction. Use the law of addition. Everything with Jesus is a whole lot better. I preach Jesus in this house. He's the crucified one. His blood still saves. Someone, someone 
needs to bring a touch of heaven to this world. Someone was once quoted that what brings a vision to a person is simply this. When what bothers you also bothers God. Psalms 138 and 8 says, The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. If I'm concerned about it, God's concerned about it. We are pushed to the limit of things that bother us. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Psalms 138 and 8. We act on something to eradicate, to stop or prohibit that something. Or as Papa would say, that's all I can stand. And I can't stand no more. And when he got that spinach in him, he said, I am what I am and I like it. (laughs) Folks, there's a power behind us and a power in us that's greater than anything in this world. And at the name of Jesus, demons still have to flee. At the name of Jesus, sickness has to say, I'm sorry, I'm leaving. At the name of Jesus, hallelujah, people still get delivered. At the name of Jesus, people come out of a pit and their foot set on a rock. At the name of Jesus, we'll speak in new tongues. At the name of Jesus, we'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. There's something powerful about the name of the Lord. My, 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 my. Clap your hands real good. Amen. The hem of the Lord's garment touched a woman one day and it healed her. Paul's handkerchief healed many. Peter's shadow did the same. The church must touch the lost with our presence and with our power. We must encourage the suffering. We've got to enlighten the confused. To lead the lost, we must touch them. Teach a Bible study, touch them. Ignore criticism, feed the hungry, touch them. I preached a message years ago about the day the crowd moved Jesus. He said, we cannot send them away hungry. Feed them. And Andrew found a little boy with a lunch of five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus blessed it. And then he broke it. And they were filled. See, symmetry says we must reach out as far as we reach up. So as high as my praise is, my reach has to be just that far. I must love people. I must love people. Don't worship a God you say you love when you don't love somebody in this world that needs Jesus. Amen. There's people on drugs. There's people that are lost in alcoholism. There's people that are walking the streets that are great, great people. All they need is somebody to say, I'm here and I'm going to touch you and God's going to turn your life around. Hallelujah. I'm almost done. So my duty is first to heaven. My second duty is to the lost. But my third duty is to my church family. I must touch my brother. Come here, Dr. Al. Just reach up here and shake my hand. I've got to touch my brother. I've got to touch my brother. Come here, Brother Tom. Come here, buddy. I've got to touch my brother. This is what it's about. I've got to touch my brother. Thank you, guys. There we go. Now we got a little triangle here. Better than the Bermuda Triangle. Hallelujah. I've got to touch my brethren. Let me talk to you now, and I'll close. The two huge angelic creatures stood with their outer wings reaching to the walls. 
yet their inner wings were wrapped around each other. Wow, I must touch God. I must touch the lost. But I must touch my brother. One of the faces of the cherubims was an ox. These two oxen angels stood side by side. We too are yoked fellows and sisters. One of the strengths of family, folks, is that they touch one another. Not necessarily hand on the back and patting, but they're in touch with each other's needs. I was in a home the other night, Dr. Al and Norma's home. They invited me to their home. And three of their sons called them long distance and Skyped with them. And those boys were so effulgent about the love that they had for a dad and a mom. And although they couldn't touch, they touched. Because families do that. We're in touch with one another. Touchstone phones are the rave of today. Touch screen is a rave. I've got a 21-year-old grandson that can do touch phone better than I can. He gets it. He goes... And I go, help me out, Finley, help me out. It's an amazing thing, the world that we're living in. Everything is touch sensitive in this high tech world. You know why? Even technology recognizes that the human element of touch is necessary. Once again, that's why I stand on that porch. And I let you know that I'm happy to see you in church. Because as one Alabama judge said, four hugs will make you get thin. Twelve hugs will make you get fat. You got to have eight to maintain. And so I want you to understand that this is a church of touch. Jesus was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Our high priest was touched. We need to weep with the weepers. We need to rejoice with those who rejoice. When someone hurts, we need to extend a wing of prayer. When someone stumbles, give an uplifting wing. When someone strays, we nudge them back in line by our wing. Two cherubims were in the holy place because Ecclesiastes said two are better than one. Because when one is down, the other's up. We need to understand, how can I love in heaven if I can't love down here? I can't wing myself to heaven on one wing. I need two wings. I've got to reach the lost and I've got to reach my fellow servant. We need each other, especially now. We need to join our arms together. If football teams could do it on Sunday, we need to interlock our arms together and say we are one by the grace of Almighty God. And this is who we are and who we will be until Jesus comes. Clap your hands. So we are. We are. We are the wings over Austin. We're the people who reach up. We're the people who reach out. And we're the people who reach in. And that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. COC is the Lord's city. We're set on a hill, a light that cannot be hid. We're salt and light. Let's spread our wings and take it for Jesus Christ. How about it, huh? I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you something. And I'll close. How long has it been since you've talked to somebody about their life? I'm not talking about arguing scripture. Come here, Brother Randy. 
You can never win a soul by debate. Fuss, 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 fuss. I'm right, you're wrong. I'm right, you're wrong. But if you stand beside them and start walking with them, and they know you're not against them, but you're for them, you might just lead them right to the house of God and right down the aisle to the altar. Everybody still matters. Everybody still matters. One of the saddest stories I ever read was after the Vietnam War. It's an old story that I've told a lot of places in my preaching around the country. It's a great story. It's a story about a young man who came home from Vietnam and called his mother and dad when he landed in San Francisco and said, Mom, Dad, I'm home. I'm safe. I'm coming home. I'm back in American soil. And the mother began to weep over the phone and said, Son, I'm so proud. I'm so happy. And he said, Mom, I got, I got one problem. I had a buddy over there in Vietnam that got shot up pretty bad. And he also stepped on a mine and he lost one arm and he lost one leg. And he's blind. Can I bring him home with me and let's put him up for a few days till he finds lodging in America? And his mother said, son, you know we're happy to have you, but son, we're not, we're not equipped to take care of people that are hurting like that. It would be too much, too much to take on for your dad and I. He said, okay, mom, I understand. He hung the phone up. An hour later, the phone rang again at the home of the mom and dad. And there was a voice of an authority who said, are you the parents of so-and-so? And they said, yes, we are. He said, we just found him in a phone booth, and he's, he's taken his life. He said, was your son an amputee? And they said, no. He said, well, the boy that's got the tags of this name was an amputee, an arm and a leg. Let me tell you something. Sometimes the people that we help or we refuse to help could be the people that could help us the most. Amen? And I'm telling you, there's nobody that doesn't count in God's house. And if we keep that in our spirit, we will reach heaven every day, we'll reach the lost every day, and we'll love people every day in this house. I love you folks with all my heart. And I hope I've helped you a little bit tonight. Because the presence of God is here. And we're those big old cherubims. Stand to your feet all over the house. You're incredible people. Clap for the word tonight. Thank you for hearing the word. Clap for the word tonight. Clap for the word tonight. And that concludes today's message. Please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.